Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading for a lesson will be uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. It'll be from the New King James Version. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We started this lesson this morning, and I want to conclude it tonight. So glad to see all of you here. This is a church where we really care about young people. And for those of you who are watching on live stream tonight, we're glad that you are with us. And I want you to know that we'd love to have you visit us anytime that you can. And I want you to know that if you bring us your kids, we'll teach them the Bible. And so we're just about to start Vacation Bible School. I love the excitement. Every, every year, I love the excitement because... The adults are so involved. I always feel like it probably does the adults just as much good, if not more, than the kids because they're together and they're laughing and enjoying and they're hammering nails and slapping paint and making fun of each other. And it's, it's just a great, great and healthy thing. We will have next week large crowds in our assembly. And every year I, I get to preach from the floor because the stage appears so cluttered and with uh, decorations and great things. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've been meaning to tell Paul, I haven't got to do it until now, but I'll just go ahead and tell him now that he can put my name on that ice cream trophy. We, we, we're going to have a wonderful time. For those of you who are adults, I don't want you to shy away from Vacation Bible School. There will be a class for adults every night, but also an opportunity to encourage the kids. And uh, I can promise you, but if you come, you're going to smile most of the time that you're here because these young people are just terrific. Perhaps you already know that there are four Greek words for love. A couple of them are in the New Testament. The other two are not. Eros is a love for things that satisfy my needs. And you think about erotic. But eros is, is broader than that. It has to do with the sexual things, but also with, I mean, a good steak. It has to do with whatever, the kinds of things that satisfy my needs. Storge has to do with a, a more familial love, a family connection. I love my mother, I love my father, I love my children. Phileo is a brotherly love. But then you get to agape, and that's, that's the one that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It may interest you to know that in Ephesians 5, when you have this wonderful discussion from Paul about marriage and instructions about getting marriage right, that that the word there is love, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives. Literally is, husbands, agape your wives. It's not a bad thing to take 1 Corinthians 13 then and walk down through that and apply it to husbands. You want to be a great husband? You want to love her? Really love her? Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. And go down through that list but make it applicable to husbands and marriage. That's not a wrong thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Tonight I want to take up with our list. Let's go back now. We're in... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we start in verse 5, middle of the verse. Here's the next one. Does not seek 
its own. Love does not seek its own. Now that one may seem a little bit confusing. Maybe it seems like it would be a bit redundant, like, like an earlier one or two. Uh, here, here's what Barclay says, and I think it's very interesting. In this world, there are but two kinds of people. There are those who insist on their privileges, and then there are those who always remember their responsibilities. May I repeat that? Because that's inherent in what, in what is said here by, by Paul. It does not seek its own. What kind of person are you or am I who always insist on their privileges or their rights, my place, and those who always remember their responsibilities, those who are always thinking of what life owes them and those who never forget what they owe to life. I, su- I, suppose, I suppose Barclay is right. But you and I serve Jesus Christ. Now here's Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So which one was Jesus? It's very much like you, you, don't, you don't want to be talking about your rights and digging in your heel and what about my privileges? What about my privileges? You know, you don't want to talk like that around Jesus, right? Who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God. It was not, I mean, he was equal with God. He is God. But made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't come to this planet in order to argue his privileges and his rights? Had he done so, he'd have never been on the cross, of course. How do you view the church? We must all remember, everybody in this room, and this certainly is applicable to me, is that the church is bigger than we are. The church is bigger than we are. And I'm here, we're here as Christians to support this voice of Christ, the work of Christ, the church of Christ. It's not about me. Just keep saying it over in your head. What this chapter is about can be summarized that way. It's not about me. Here's the next one. It's not provoked. It's not easily provoked. It's found in some translations. Now, this one's not so very difficult to understand. And, um, in fact, it's just plain out intuitive. What happens if a person has a short fuse? How are you doing on that? I want to ask for a show of hands. Anybody in this room have a short fuse, temper flares up quick, hair trigger kind of thing? If so, you, you already know if you're an adult and you have that problem, you already know that you often can be your own worst enemy. And what James 3 would say is that the tongue can set on fire the course of, of life. And the idea is a circle of life. And that is that Our tongue can keep us in trouble all the time, and I can't imagine a greater example than this one. Sometimes I'll be teaching about elders and qualifications of elders. I had a call one day from another church, I don't remember where, but they were about to ordain elders. And and one of the brothers um, had a a reputation, this was somewhere else, not here, but had a reputation for having a, a short fuse, a temper. And this Christian called to say, I don't know what I should do. You know, they're going to have us turn in if we have any objections. And he said, the problem is that I think he's a good man in every way except this one. But I've observed him myself in the lobby out there before after worship. Let his wife have it. 
or let his, her, his children just have it, just, just flare at them. And I, I wonder what could happen. It's really interesting to me, and by the way, the, the answer to the question, uh, is he qualified? The answer to that question is no. He is not qualified, and you must not make him an elder. Now, he must get over this. He's got to get, can he get past this? Well, sure he can. Sure he can, but he's got to be made aware of it, and then he's got to work on it. And one day, hopefully, he can be an elder. Now, here, here are the qualifications of elders, and I just pulled out a few that are relevant to this point. Temperate, of good behavior, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome. I doubt that a man who has a short fuse meets these qualifications. But I'll tell you something else. It is easy to see why the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit would put this one in here, right? You want to talk about the church loving each other and how you do it and what it looks like? Here's one of the knots. Here, here's one of the negative ones. You can't have a short fuse. All right, here we go. Number eight, thinks no evil. It thinks no evil. I think that this one is um, a rare example of an unfortunate translation. Because when you read this, you might come away thinking that, that I, I'm really to, to turn a blind eye to evil in the church. Well, of course that's not true. In fact, the very opposite is true, and we could talk about that the rest of the night. Uh, that, would be that idea would be inconsistent. Thinks no evil doesn't mean that we become oblivious to evil. It doesn't mean that. The word thinks there, and here's, let's look at the Greek word. Legisomai. And, and it's translated in the authorized version, version, pardon me, uh, think or impute or reckon or count or account or suppose, reason number. See, the word is account. It doesn't keep account of evil. And well, this one makes sense, of course, in the list too, because I don't know, it's, it's almost funny in, in a, just a very sad way that somebody would, would um, count up the, the negative remarks ever made to them or the things with which they disagreed or, or some uh, bad judgments. I don't know, the kinds of things that might be talked about here in the church and how we get along and how we love one another. You can think of all those kinds of things. Suppose you made a list of those. So that's what this means. It would mean to make a list. It would mean it's an accounting term for keeping a list. I remember sitting in a in my office in a different place with a couple, and they were having problems in their marriage. And I really don't remember all of what was going on. I have a great forgetter. I just forget. But I do remember this. This is what stuck in my mind, is that I had both of them there, and I asked, I asked her if she could tell me what the problem is. Let's get started. What can, what can I do for you? What's the problem? And she didn't have much to say. She, you know, she, she was kind, and, but she, she was hesitant. And I turned to him and I said, so what's going on? What's the problem? And this is the truth. No exaggeration. He reached in his pocket. He pulled out a black book and I, about this big and he opened it and he had dates and quotes from her over a long period of time, things that she said that he just felt were inappropriate and that he just did not like and that were, it was like the, the, the cumulative effect of this was supposed to be that I would be able to see that obviously she was the problem. Yeah, well, I'm sure she had faults too, but that that he was doing was exactly what this is talking about when it says thinks no evil. That is, 
You want to get along? It'd be great if everybody was as perfect as me, right? If everybody was as perfect as you, wouldn't that be nice? But that's just not how it is in human, with human beings. And if you want to get along in a church that's made up of human beings, there's going to be issues. There will be personality issues. I, I, need to, I need to be able to turn loose of things. Paul and I were talking in the office the other day, and there are times when I might, there, there might be something intentional or unintentional that's said that just rubs me the wrong way. And I, I could avenge that. I could go after that. But I don't want to be defined by that. I don't want to be defined that way. And what this is teaching is something quite different. Does not seek its own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, here's the next one, but rejoices in the truth. Now, I've applied this in a couple of different ways in my preaching. And one is that certainly it's applicable in the home. You love your people, then keep evil out of your home. You don't rejoice in iniquity. I don't want to be entertained by iniquity. I don't want that in our home, in our house. We want to have truth in our house, not entertain iniquity in our house. And if you love one another, you want each other to go to heaven, of course, more than anything else. And, and I, think, I think it's applicable in that way. However, in the context, that's probably not it. And this one, you just have to wrap your mind around this. I, I'm to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, that seems pretty straightforward. But add the facet that it may be somebody that, against whom I have angst somebody who has been offensive to me, somebody that I just don't get along with. And, and maybe, maybe there have been things said, and maybe I kept a little book and I can remember the things and I've sort of savored those. Would it be easier to weep with that person when she weeps or rejoice when she has good fortune? Would it be that, that if that person that I didn't care for very much, and I learned that he or she had gotten deeply involved in some sort of sin and wrecked their lives, they, they just have done something that's I, it's just, it's just terrible. Is there going to be something inside of me that feels a little bit glad about that? Would it be easier to feel a little bit glad about that than it would be if they had wonderful success, wonderful things in their lives that have transpired, and everybody's so happy, could I be happy with them, even if I had angst against them? Uh, There you go. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Now verse 7, bears all things. Bears all things. The, the Greek word for bears is not complicated. It's just kind of strange. I mean, I don't think you would pick it up just from the English word bears, but it means cover to cover with silence. To cover with silence. Bears all things means to cover with silence. It does not mean, of course, that, that when sin is committed in the church that the thing we need to always do is cover it up. That's not true. And there are passages, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there are passages many passages that would say sometimes sin has to be exposed and disciplined. It has to be taken care of in some strong ways. But I would argue that it's in, 
in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. And you remember, if your brother sins against you, what's the first thing that you do? And, and the answer is you go to him privately, just between you and him alone, and you tell him his fault. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother, right? Well, now, who else is in there that's going to be informed about it at that point? And the answer is nobody. It's nobody. The answer is that it's going to be between him and me. And I declare that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. I know that it must be very, very hard because people seldom do it. But I can tell you something else, too. It's the way that I want to be treated. Come on now, golden rule. If, if, I, if I've done something to someone and offended them or they believe I've sinned against them, I would really, I, aren't you like me? I'd really like them to come tell me first and do it privately and not talk about it to other people. You feel that way? Well, yeah. Here's, here's the word. Here's the word. It bears all things, means to cover with silence. It means that I, I, may, I may believe that you've sinned against me, but my inclination to make this big is not inside of me. I'd like to handle it. We, we used to talk about if a man was restoring uh, or repairing a car and the rear left taillight no longer works, you do the simple thing first. You check the bulb before you go and buy a wiring harness. And in, in human relationships, the same principle is applicable. I, I need to do the small thing. For, you, know what, you know what is the enemy of this? The enemy is social media. The enemy of this is social media where people can, can pick up on something about other Christians and then they... They maybe read some criticism, and then they just jump on the bandwagon, and they make it bigger and bigger, and it's awful. I expect that while there's good that's being done on social media, that the evil ex exceeds it. I, I, I don't know. I, I just know that, that there's a whole lot of things that would be better if they, if they were never said, never written. It's very troubling, too. In the Lord's church, there's a difference. I don't know if you can see this illustration, but, but in the Lord's church, there's a difference between a congregation that has elders and one that doesn't have elders. Maybe they can't. Maybe they don't have men who are qualified, but instead they have men's business meetings. And that's been talked over a lot because that's not even a close second. Men's business meetings have an inherent problem, and that is that you have men in there who are wise and, and uh, they're, they're not novices. They're, they're, they're aged men who know the Word of God and their opinions matter. And then you might have, you might have some that are on that other side of that spectrum. Eh? And, and, and uh, the, the fact is that both of them have voices in that meeting, and it may seem that those voices are equal. And you can just appreciate how that can be detrimental eventually to the church. Well, the same thing is true about social media. You may have level heads in there saying some good things, but then you, anybody, anybody can write stuff on there and you see what happens that it degenerates down to something really, really bad. The, and how would you like to be the recipient of some of that? Huh? How would you like to be the focus of some of that rubbish that, that uh, comes down on social media, Facebook and all that? How, how would you like to be the, the re recipient of some of that? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I think it could just destroy your emotions. I think it could be very, very painful. You want to know the solution? Solution, of course, is love. And part of love is bears all things. And bears means to cover with silence. Sometimes it isn't that you don't plan to deal with a matter that involves you in some way. 
It's just that sometimes the best thing to do first is to be quiet. Just, just be quiet. Bears all things, believes all things. The next one is believes all things. This is one of my favorite ones. I just love this one. And the meaning is that this is not easy to do, but you can do it. I think it's, I think it's not as hard as some of them. Um, believes all things means that, that if I hear something bad about one of my brothers or sisters, my first reaction is not going to be to spin it in my mind to, be, to come out to the worst possible end or to believe the worst about a person. Believes all things means that I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to spin it in my mind to say, you know what? This could be a misunderstanding. It's possible that, and then I could paint it in such a way that until we have compelling evidence to the opposite, that we could believe the best thing about this person, that, that this could be true, that, that what really happened is consistent with fairness and love and Christianity and righteousness and all those compassion to people. Maybe we just don't have all the, the parts of this puzzle yet. But I, I, believe that, I believe in this. I don't know what happened, but I believe this is a good person, and I don't believe he would have done that. Now, hold on a second. There's the golden rule again. I can promise you that if I were the focus of that, that's what I would want you to do for me. I would want Weaver over there to say, come on now, wait a minute. I know Glenn. I don't think he would do that. I just don't believe that about him. And if it did, okay, ready for this one? If he did do it, it was inconsistent with who, his, who he really is. It's inconsistent with his character. And, and he'll want to make that right. Well, you do, you'll do that for me, won't you, James? Good. Okay. Is that how you'd like to be treated? Isn't that how you would like to be treated? And when you hear that, when you think about believes all things, and you understand what it means, you, you, your soul shouts out that this is how you keep the church united and love each other. This is how you do it, is that, that we think the best about each other until we, haven't, we have no choice but to believe the bad thing. And then we do, are you ready for the next thing? We do the next thing, hopes all things. And that is to say that, that even when something not good, something wrong, something sinful has occurred in somebody's life, I, I want to believe that they can turn this around. And maybe they will. And what can we do to help them? How can we help them? We're not going to take any pleasure in somebody's sin. I don't care if it's the person who's offended you the most in your whole life. We don't take pleasure in their sin. And we hope for the future. I want them to go to heaven. Right? Hope all things is an enduring optimism. It's not, it's not crazy. It's not that we deny reality in the facts when the facts are what they are and they're bad. But it is to say that in Christ there's hope so long as there's breath in a man's lungs, so long as he, he can think, he can make things right. And if I can help him do that, that's what I want to do no matter what. And the last one is endures all things. I think this is rather ironic or I mean, it's from the Holy Spirit, so it's on purpose. There's nothing accidental, accidentally there in the Bible. But don't you think it's interesting that the last one is sort of a mirror of the first one? The first one started out with suffers long. And the last one is endures all things. It's like, 
The Bible is not going to sugarcoat the reality of a church made up of human beings. I think it would be nice to say that if you're a member of the church, you're never going to have any problems and that everybody's always going to be righteous and nice and everything's going to just always be smooth. And that's, that's not really true. And it's, it's, it's not true because you and I are humans and sometimes we do dumb things and, and sometimes we mess up. What the, the tie is that binds us together is a love for Christ. But also, listen closely now, this is important is that each of us possesses and maintains a willingness to make things right in our lives when we go astray. Now, if we lose that, we go inconsistent with the will of God. Then we go astray. We come, we go outside the boundaries of the church when we start doing things like that. But, but all of us love each other. And, and, and all of us want the others to go to heaven and I want to go to heaven. And that's, that's what this is all about. Now, I want to finish this sermon up by going down to the last of the chapter with which you're familiar. Verse 13 says, And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And people, men have wrestled with this verse to to figure out how the greatest of these is love. And I just want to give you a caveat thought. Uh, Give me the next slide, please. So Paul would use this triad faith, hope, and love in more than one place. And in First Thessalonians, you, you see that he used it. What's interesting is that, that there's nothing about the greatest of these is love. In these others, First Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Does love hold a special place in that verse? Uh, I mean, compared to the other two, or does it look pretty equal to you? I think it looks pretty equal. Here's First Thessalonians 5, 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What's the observation? It's not to minimize any of these. It's certainly not love. It is to say that it seems to me that this triad that Paul likes to use by inspiration, that in 1 Corinthians 13, he applied it to the people to whom he was writing. And what they needed most of all was to emphasize the love part in that church where they were failing the most was in reference to love. I hope you have a great week. I really do. I hope uh, whatever you've got planned that you, you will do it to the glory of God and do it with all your heart. And I pray that you will be safe and content and, and that all will be well as we serve God together. Is there somebody here tonight who needs to obey the gospel? Now would be such a great time. You need to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you haven't done that, what about now? What about right now? If you're ready to repent of your sins and confess his name, I believe that Jesus is God's son, then you can be baptized. And we'll be so happy to help you. And and we'll do it just as the Bible describes. If you need the prayers of Christians, we'd be so happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.